Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. The veil between the presence of God and humanity has been torn down. No longer are we in bondage to sin. The blood of Christ has cleaned the slate. Through the shed blood of Christ, we can boldly enter into the presence of God. Since we confess Christ as Lord and claim Him as our, as our High Priest, because of His perfect sacrifice for the blood of the eternal covenant, we are considered worthy to boldly approach the throne of grace. We eagerly await the coming of Christ. We eagerly await His coming kingdom. The kingdom we heard about for the last two Sundays and today makes three, from Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully addressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All All these things are gone forever. This is the kingdom we eagerly await. This is the kingdom that is not yet. What do we do while we wait? How do we live into the kingdom that is already here? Years ago, a graduated high school senior who was brought up going to church every Sunday and taught the importance of gathering together with, the, with other believers left for college. Leaving for college meant they were leaving the church community that they had been a part of for all those years. This meant a search for a new Christian community to be a part of needed to be done. For several months, the college student tried church after church without finding one they could be a part of. Some churches gave the feel as if they had snuck into an exclusive club to the back door with greetings of, why are you here, instead of a welcoming greeting. Other churches reacted as if they weren't there at all. After months and months of looking, the college student gave up looking for a church community altogether. Instead of gathering together with the community of believers, the college student resorted to attending the church of St. Mattress, where they were under the shepherding of Pastor Sheets and Elder Blanket. And on particularly cold days, the great comforter was also there. <laughs> the, pillow family, the pillow family was also very comforting. While attending the church of St. Mattress, the student's spiritual growth came to a grinding halt and even began to regress. It was during this time that they, had felt, that they fell into the temptation to sin easier, <clears throat> and their life stopped reflecting growth in the grace of their Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, a faithful servant of our Lord Jesus Christ saw the college student, not only invited them to church, but invited them to be a part of the community. An invitation to church is an invitation to fill a seat, while an invitation to be a part of the community goes beyond the expectation of just showing up. The college student accepted the invitation to come be a part of the life of, the ch- of that church. As they gathered with the church community, their life began to display growth in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that had once laid dormant. To the encouragement of the, fellow, of the fellow believers, they began to feel spurred on to outbursts of love and good deeds. Through the assembling together with believers, their life returned to reflecting Christ. This story is a prime example of how the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. If we are not part of, a, part of a community of believers, our faith will suffer. Our faith thr- thrives on the mutual encouragement of your brothers and sisters to your right, to your left. 
As many of you know, within the past year or so, I have gotten into the sport of obstacle course racing through an organization called Spartan. Basically what it is is a race made up of obstacles. When I do these things, it's normally I, do, I normally do it with a team. Last year I did my first one with a team, doing a three-plus mile race. The plus was actually 4.8, and was not expecting that. Um, but I, I enjoyed it so much that this year I was determined to do a 13-plus mile race. Apparently people chicken out, because this race I embarked on alone. People often would ask me, what drives me to do these things? My answer was normally the enormous physical and mental challenge and the sense of satisfaction and accomplishment that comes from completing each race. However, it was in the beast, the 13-plus mile race, I realized why I do these things. As I mentioned before, I normally do these things with a team. Going through with a team, the other members of the team are there to help you over obstacles and to encourage each other to finish the race. In the start gate for the beast, the person sending each wave of runners gave us a motivational speech. Went something like this. Look to your right and to your left. That Spartan will draw strength from you, and you will draw strength from them. They will not let you fail, but you will carry one another to the finish line. At the end of the speech, the runners were set loose on the course. Again, remember, I embarked up the mountain alone, bound and determined to finish. As I progressed through the course and made, and made the first grueling ascent up the mountain, having conquered several obstacles already, my tired body thought about giving up. Knowing the, knowing the obstacles I routinely need, need the help of the team to complete, lay ahead of me, I thought about quitting. But I persevered through a 40-pound sandbag, car sandbag carry down and up a steep part of the mountain. It was at this point that two people who I didn't know Saw someone struggling through, saw someone struggling through the course alone and asked, "Are you running alone?" "Well, yes, I am," was my reply. They said, "Well, you're more than welcome to stick with us as we help each other finish the race." At that point, with the encouragement and assistance of others, quitting no longer was a thought, but we spurred each other but we spurred each other on to the finish line. Obstacle course racing for me is a lived reality of who we are supposed to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. The obstacles in our lives are very real. And without the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot get through them all. Look to your brother or sister to your right and to your left. They will draw strength from you. And you will draw strength from them. They will not let you struggle alone. And you won't let, and you won't let them struggle alone. You will encourage each other to live as Christ lived. To actively, live, to actively live into the kingdom of God that is already here. None of us can accomplish Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 without the help of our brothers and sisters. We all need help and encouragement to the finish line. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the, the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. 
By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God, with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. It is because of the perfect work of Christ we gather and worship today. Through Christ's shed blood, we can boldly enter into the presence of God. Since we are washed clean in the waters of baptism, we can approach worship with a true and repentant heart. It's because of the work Christ has done and he continues to do in us, we come to worship. The work Christ continues to do in us cannot be done in isolation. We cannot neglect meeting together with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, for our continued growth in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ depends on it. We cannot grow in our, journey, in our own journeys of faith with, without the encouragement and support of our brothers and sisters to our right and left. If we neglect meeting together, our faith becomes stagnant. The encouragement of one another is vital to our growth as reflections of Christ in the world. Our world is cloaked in darkness and in dire need to see the light of the kingdom that is within each one of us. This week, the light of the kingdom has been portrayed on Facebook and in the media as outrage over a red cup. What should outrage us as followers of Christ in, in this is the misrepresentation of who we are as, as a Christian community. In a world so dark with terrorist attacks, mass shootings, issues of race, families that are homeless, and families that do not know how they're going to eat tonight. Just to name a few things. Do we as a body of believers really want the image of who Christians are to be outraged for something as petty as a red cup? In a world so dark, it is time that people see the true light of the kingdom. We come to worship to stoke the fire of the kingdom light that is within all of us. When we leave here, we take the light of the kingdom into a dark world. We invite others to come and worship and to help us live faithfully into the light of the kingdom. We invite others to come take light from the light that is never overtaken by night. Come glorify the Christ risen from the dead by allowing that light to shine in our, in our darkest night world. We gather to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. As we live into these outbursts, we give the world around us glimpses into what the kingdom of God looks like. We gather to share our lives together. We gather to invite others to be a part of the mission of God in the world. We gather around the table in order to scatter. We gather to understand how we need to respond when we pray, Thy kingdom come. Hebrews 10, 23-25 let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hebrews calls us to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. As we gather... How can we help our brothers and sisters to our right, to our left? And how can they help us? As we've discussed before, we mutually fan the flame of the kingdom light that is within all of us. The light of the kingdom isn't just what goes on within these four walls. 
but the light of the kingdom are the acts of love and good deeds we encourage each other to take from this place and bring to the dark world that lies just outside our door. What do those acts of love and good deeds look like? Isaiah 58, 6-10 lays it out for us. No, this is the kind of fast I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. and Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as new. This is who we are supposed to be about as the body of Christ. This is the body the world needs to see today, tomorrow, and until the day we see Christ return and redeem all of creation. With the supposed Christian concern over a red cup and on other issues just as petty, no wonder no one wants to take part in the kingdom. The world craves the light of the kingdom laid out here in Isaiah and then again in Matthew 25. Brothers and sisters, as we leave here today, let's take to the world the real light of the kingdom that is already here. That is what we do while we wait for the not yet. Seeing the true light of the kingdom will attract others to take part in the story of God and allow God's story to transform their story. This is how we keep the feast. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Portraying the true light of the kingdom is what we do, is what we do as we eagerly await the awesome day that is approaching. When we gather, we gather to scatter to encourage, to encourage the kingdom light that is within all of us to burn all the brighter. We extend the invitation to others to come be, be part of God's story, to allow, to allow the grace of God to transform their story. We invite them to help us live more faithfully into the light of the kingdom that is already here. When we pray, thy kingdom come, I pray that we encourage one another to go out their door, share the light of the kingdom that is already here. I pray that we are people that don't just kick at the darkness until it bleeds, but takes a sledgehammer to it and breaks a big hole. This is what we do while we eagerly await the coming of Christ. Go be the light of the kingdom that is already here.